brings Sutek's gift of Christmas. Just like the ones I used to know. Welcome, everybody, to episode 217 of the Metabilis 2 podcast, which features David and Ben. And I am Ben, and he is David. <laughs> um, Confusingly so. And it's a special festive edition of the Metabilis 2 podcast today. Yes. Is, is it not, David? It is. Oh, ho, oh, oh. Unlike, <laughs> unlike certain showrunners that uh, say bah to Christmas, we always try to do a Christmas-themed podcast around this time of year, and... Lo and behold, it's time for another Christmas pod. It certainly is. And I think our, our well, it's not really a tradition because we've only, only done it once before. Um, <laughs> it's the 12, the 12 days of Sutek, the 12 gifts. Yes. Of the demon god Sutek. Kind of the mashup between the 12 days of Christmas and uh, Pyramids of Mars. Yeah, yeah, because you know, <laughs> Sutek brings his gift of death to all humanity. Mm-hmm. But not this time. Not this time. He's not going to bring death this no, time. No, this time he's bringing a, a sack full. You know, like it's Santa Sutek. He's got a big beard and like a jolly red costume and a hat. Yep, he's the Osiren gift giver, and he's bringing lovely gifts to all humanity. And yeah, uh, to all the all the good little children. And uh, each of us have chosen six gifts that Sutek has bestowed that we're thankful of. I, I've taken this to be that we're we're thankful for in Doctor Who fandom, pertinent to our show over the past year or so. So these are. Six gifts that I, I've chosen, and I think we'll just take turns. I'll, I think I'll lead off. That sounds great. Ho, ho, ho. All right, and we'll, we'll follow this format. Uh, I bring Sutek's gift of Santarans to all humanity. Fantastic. Um, the, more, the more Santarans, <laughs> more Santarans there are, the better, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, well... Okay, explain. The, explain. Yeah, explain, yes. The reason why I chose Santarans this year is uh, we had just recently watched Flux, and I was, I was struck by how, how much Chris Chibnall had revived the Santarans from the comedy Santaran trope that uh, Stephen Moffat had done. Specifically, the War of the Santarans, we've seen Santarans pre-menacing doing what Santarans do, uh, be militaristic, show no mercy, efficient soldiers, and then we get the bonus of the Santaran commander on a horse. So It's, good. it's a goodie. I think it's a full return to the Santarans that we saw earlier, or way back when, with the Time Warrior back with uh, Elizabeth Sladen's uh, debut as Sarah Jane Smith. So it's nice to see Santarans being taken as seriously as they were back when Bob Holmes created them, and even as RTD had with the Santaran stratagem. I think we saw Santarans at their full effectiveness. So I'm really thankful that Santarans are back being the baddies that conquered Gallifrey. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, the, I mean, because what's ironic about Santarans, I think they were originally created as a joke. Yeah. In that, you know, a, an alien would have a head the same shape as its helmet. <laughs> but, you know, they came out of the blocks as really evil, nasty little creatures. Mm-hmm. And I agree with you. I think they were, they were demoted to a joke species under Moffat. Mm-hmm. They're back. They're on horses. They're in the past, screwing around with stuff. Yeah. 
really what we need back along with him is we need, we need the Rutans back as oh, well. Yeah. I'm perennially disappointed that the Rutans have only had one uh, one TV outing. Um, I'm sure there's there's a, a, any number of big finishes featuring Rutans. But with the amount of shape changing that goes on in Contemporary Who, mm-hmm. time for the Rutans to return. Do you think that makes it uh, less likely that the Rutans will return because there is such a large amount of shape changing? There's nothing. What what's special about the Rutans then? If we have other shape shifters, well, the, the, I mean, that the, they fight the Sontarans. Yes, um, that they live in the ocean, kind of. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're kind of jellyfish, and they're green, and they glow, um, and I don't know. They're, they're just kind of cool. They're kind of a Borgish sort of race, you know. They're kind of you know they're a collective. Um, I mean, they're communists, and the Sontarans are fascists, basically, right? <laughs> I think that's what they've been going for. Yeah, it's, it's a nice combo, and I'd like to see them return. How would you visualize them? Would you do like you did in Horror and Fang Rock with kind of the blob jellyfish? Yeah, I'd, I'd have like a, an unconvincing-looking green painted paper bag that would like gradually inflate and deflate, and then some tentacles, and then they would those would just move around. Mm-hmm. I liked what they did when in the gunpowder <laughs> plot, the video game, where they were kind of gaseous and floated. And so they oh, like, floaty. Yeah, all right, they could be floaty, floaty, yeah, yeah, yeah. floaty jellyfish, but in air. Obviously, we've only really seen them in action uh, in horror. Well, I've only seen them in action in horror and fan rock. What was cool about them is their shape changingness. They're, they're easy to spot. Like you know, people become a kind of a pale, a pale grey colour and lose any kind of vestige of sort of humanity. So they're, they're they're shape changes, but you know you can kind of spot them pretty easily. And I like that. I like that. I think it's irritating when new shape changing happens, and you know it's that they're, they're just kind of um, uh, completely uh, uh, undetectable. Um, I'm I'm looking at you, Moffat and Zygons. <laughs> I think it'd be cool if they had kind of a greenish tint rather than a gray tint. A greenish tint, yeah, or greenish, maybe gr- green glowy eyes. Glowy eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bright green lips. Um, something, <laughs> something to something to tip you off gr- that they are. These are Rutans, yeah, exactly, exactly. And we've seen the Daleks and the Cybermen battle it out many times, and we've seen the uh, Santarans take on the Daleks and I guess the Cybermen in flux, but we haven't seen the battle between Santarans and Rutans at all. That's, no. That seems to be a missing element of Doctor Who. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've, we've had the Time War was all going to be all secret and we don't know about it. That's now out in the open fully. Time to bring the Rutans and the Santarans back. So what was so great about the Santarans is that any conflict with humanity was kind of collateral. Everything was collateral because yes. what they were focused on is defeating the Rutans. And that kind of brings back their kind of single-mindedness, which expresses their stupidity, which, of course, is what, what Moffat was keen on, mm-hmm. you know, very nicely without them actually seeming stupid. Yes. In the, they're, they're monomaniacs, like all kind of driven. people who like war. Driven, they're very driven. driven. Yes, they're like, they're war nerds is what they are. <laughs> um, yep, perfect. Yes. Okay. So. Excellent. Um, a, a time for my first gift? Yes. Um, I bring Sutek's gift of night flight to Venus to all humanity. Okay, what is night flight to Venus? That sounds oh, you don't fascinating. Know what night flight to Venus is. No, I don't. <laughs> it's the third studio album released in 1978 from Boney M, um, which includes <laughs> on side one, Ra Ra Rasputin. Um, <laughs> Now, obviously, we've had our problems with the, with the Whittaker era, and yes. you've heard us discuss Power of the Doctor, and we've heard me certainly opine that the whole reason that uh, 
The master was dressed up as Rasputin and the first part of the show was basically set in Imperial Russia in 1917. It was only there so that um, they could play Rara Rasputin and Sasha could dance around to it wearing a big beard. Mm -hmm. That's good. I like that. I'm happy with that. I've made my peace with that. But I would like humanity and also you know, certainly our, perhaps our American listener may not be fully aware of the oeuvre of Boney M. Obviously um, not. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean, they, they, have, they have a great, they have a really good Greatest Hits album. That's worth picking up. But Night Flight to Venus, goodness gracious, that is an absolute banger. What other tracks are on Night Flight to Venus? There's, of course, there's Brown Girl in the Ring. That's a classic. They do uh, the, the Rivers of Babylon, which was, again, I think Brown Girl in the Ring, Rivers of Babylon... And Rasputin were the singles. Mm-hmm. Oh, Painter Man as well. Painter Man, that's good. Okay. Painter Man, Painter Man. Also, final track on side B is a cover of Heart of Gold by Neil Young. So if you like Caribbean slash German disco from the late 1970s, you can't go wrong with Boney M, basically. Do you happen to have this album on vinyl? I do have this album on vinyl. <laughs> I don't have it with me in the United States, but I do have their... Um, I mean, Boney M are hard to get hold of in the States. They, they didn't really have a... Um, uh, they didn't really, didn't really have a... They didn't really get released over here. No. So again, I mean, my mission here as Sutec is to ensure that the Americans fully understand the glory that was and still is the band Boney M. Um, it, having been introduced to it... Through the medium of Doctor Who, I encourage all, um, all of humanity <laughs> to listen to. I'm just going to, yeah. To, and also, they're hilarious. I mean, just, just, just look at Boney M videos on YouTube, please. I implore you. They're just, they're just the funnest band. And I think they were one of the very first Western bands to play in the Soviet Union as well. Yeah, I think their show in Moscow revived interest in Rasputin. <laughs> in, in the Soviet Union at the time. Well, I'll have to say, in my prep school, when I was a mere 11, 12 years old, it really ignited a strong interest in Rasputin. Um, because we loved that song so much, we all became very, very interested in the history of, of late imperial Russia and the revolution um, and Rasputin. And that's still... People of my age, and this is no joke, um, know a lot more about Rasputin than we should. <laughs> <laughs> um, simply because of that, uh-huh. you know, thanks to that song, thanks to that song, it was a massive, massive hit, and it's a complete banger. So please, um, Night Flight to Venus, buy the album. Hopefully, the Boney M's who are still alive will get some residuals. I think the reason why Chibnall included it because he's my age is it was a TikTok challenge right. where okay. people would pose flexing their muscles to. Rasputin for whatever I don't understand TikTok challenges that well. Seems like a weird one to me. But that was uh what TikTokers did. Cool. There you go. Go out TikTok, eh? <laughs> so it's it's uh, down with the kids. Exactly. Ra ra Rasputin, Russia's greatest love machine. All right. For my second gift, I bring Sutek's gift of puppets Ooh. to all humanity. Puppets. Puppets. Explain. <laughs> Well, puppets have, uh, especially in classic uh, 1970s Doctor Who, was a great way of realizing some of the most classic monsters that we've seen, such as the Drashugs, T-Rex from Invasion of the Dinosaur, the Scarazin from Terror of the Zygons, 
puppetry sort of fell on hard times uh, in the 80s. You get more monsters like the Bandrels, which the much maligned Bandrels and Time Lash. Uh, maybe a step above that would be Fifi, the dog, the Stigorax from Happiness Patrol. Right. And what made me think of this is when RTD most recently was talking about the show, he said, if you thought the appearance of David Tennant was a shock, we've got plenty more surprises on our way. The path to Shooty's 15th Doctor is laden with mystery, horror, robots, puppets, danger, and fun. He's going to bring back puppets. <laughs> this is... <laughs> Uh, we need more puppets in Doctor Who. Um, I've always loved puppets. I've, I've created puppet characters for my kids when they were growing up. Wow, I, I didn't know this, but so you're like, you're like a frustrated puppeteer of some kind. Well, I'm probably closeted. A closet or... puppeteer. Goodness, goodness gracious me. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So bring on the puppets. I'm waiting for the puppets of RTD because it's time we return to our our roots, our, our, our puppetry roots for realizing monsters. Exactly, and yep. and the great. I mean, you know, you, like like Anderson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Super Marination puppets. That's what made British science fiction so great. Uh, mm-hmm. Was was part of puppets. That's so interesting. Um, you'll be interested to hear two of my gifts. Um, later on in our gift sequence, which connect to that gift of puppets. Excellent. It's interesting that we're kind of thinking on the same on the same level here. I think puppets are in some of the greatest stories. I mean, you have the Drashics and Carnival of Monsters, but a puppet was central to the towns of Wang Chiang, where you had Mr. Sin, who was also a, a, a homunculus. So you had that kind of the mix. The puppets were, I think, a greater importance of Doctor Who than they are today. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how RTD brings in puppets. Brings in puppets. Yeah, I mean, because they could be evil puppets or they could be monsters or non-monsters um, created using the medium of puppetry. We'll just have to see. It's, we live in exciting times. We do indeed. Well, let's move on to the next gift. Um, my second gift, I believe. So I bring Sutek's gift of... The diamond logo to all humanity. Yeah, the return. The return of the 1970s again. The mighty, <laughs> mighty diamond logo. And I, come on, we've had lots of logos. I think each era of New Who's had its own logo. Yep. I've disliked them all in to various degrees. I haven't. I, 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 I think they're all fine. They've all got problems. If you go back to classic Who, you get the kind of boring logos of the 1960s uh, and early 1970s. You get the crap 80s logos of the 1980s. Slap bang in the middle of all of that diamond logo. It's the greatest. Bring it back. I want it on everything. I want it tattooed on my forehead, basically. (laughs) It's so good. It's pretty much unbeatable as a logo for the show. Uh, Dropping it, um, I'm looking at you, John Nathan Turner, was a huge mistake. But uh, there you go. Diamond logo. It's back. I love it. I'm not going to apologize. Yes, I am a fan of a certain age. I'm not going to apologize for that either. Diamond logo, unbeatable, changed my mind. It's uh, rejiggered a little bit. They've uh, uh, they've tweaked it almost significantly to make the, the who pop out more, almost to the expense of uh, seeing the doctor part fade out a little bit. And uh, the who is centered. Interesting, yeah. Centered a little more evenly, I think, around the 
H. I think they've taken the opportunity to take something that was basically drawn by someone on a piece of paper and they've put it into a computer and they've taken the opportunity to tweak it around. Um, mm-hmm. Which, let's face it, that would have been done originally um, had the original designer of the German logo, um, whose name obviously escapes me, otherwise I'd be using it right now, uh, would have done that. So um, I've got no problems with that. Mm-hmm. And I've always thought that the diamond logo was the top of the TARDIS looking down with Doctor Who oh. imposed on it. I don't know if this is uh, common, but this is you know, the blueness of it. Always, That's what I always thought. This is the top of the TARDIS looking, <laughs> looking down with Doctor Who on it. Uh, but uh, I, I may be alone in thinking that. <laughs> well, I've never heard that. You, I think you might be alone. I like that. I like that as an idea. Okay. Goodness, yes, it could very well be looking down on the TARDIS. And have you seen the the actual diamond background diamond logo that they're using? Oh goodness, you're kind of trumping me on the diamond <laughs> logo strikes. So. Oh, okay, yeah. So this is a, this is also a I think official. I, I'm not sure I've, I've seen it officially, but they have a kind of a diamond background for next year for the 60th for. The diamond logo is the 60th anniversary. The diamond anniversary, perhaps it is. Uh, I, I, I think. I think 60 is diamonds, isn't it? So yeah. Well, well there I, you go. I, I haven't reached that anniversary yet. Well, so. there you go. 60th anniversary. I'm just looking that up. I, I hadn't thought of that. Um, it, it's a diamond. That's why the diamond logo is back, everybody. That makes sense. We've only just realized that. <laughs> it all fits. I'm surprised. I'm partial to the Pertwee logo, kind of the word word logo that preceded the diamond logo. I, I do love the diamond logo, but for for ease of graphic design, I think you can't beat the Pertwee logo. It, it's it's solid. It's uh, weighty. Uh, I even like what they did in the McGann years for the TV movie. I, I think it's a it's a much f- more branding friendly logo because it fits nicely horizontally and there and isn't a lot of white negative space that you would have with the diamond logo. Do you like what they did with the with for the fortieth anniversary with the Bertwee logo, like shoehorning the forty in there? Yeah, it's all right. Uh, it's clever, but. It's okay. Hmm. I, I prefer the classic Pertwee logo, I guess. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad that through the medium of a dialogue in a podcast, I've now understood why they brought back the diamond logo, um, which I, which I, I mean, I, I just figured they brought it back because it's the best, but they brought it back because it's the, I mean, maybe they'll abandon it after this coming year of 2023. They're not saying, but I think it will just be for this year. Um, and then when, when Shooty is in in the saddle that he'll have his own logo i think it's perfect i think it's a good move very happy with it um there you go next gift that was a good one thank you i bring sutek's gift of the doctor who collection to all humanity and the reason why i chose this is as fans were really spoiled by the high quality of releases thanks to the doctor who restoration team that we're getting since 1992. This has been going on, uh, building up from the VHSs all the way through the DVDs and now the Blu-ray, which is, I think, the culmination of 30 years, effectively, of care and recovery and restoration that has been going on on our favorite, favorite program. And I think when you look at other 
properties, especially in uh, classic British television, aside from Monty Python, which has been recently restored uh, for Blu-ray in the past two years, there's not a lot of uh, output in the in the British television landscape that has had the same kind of restoration that we've seen um, bestowed on more marquee products in the U.S. like Star Trek, the classic Star Trek series. So I'm really grateful that we have this high-quality uh, media release, physical media release, and that the restoration team has been allowed to work its magic we have color in all the pertwee stories bar the first episode of invasion of the dinosaurs in really watchable format and i'm I'm hoping when uh, season 11 is released we're going to get color restoration on the first uh, episode of invasion of the dinosaurs so I really appreciate having a physical, high-quality form of media that I don't have to rely on the internet, streaming, some corporations, whims. Is it going to be on Disney Plus, you know, BritBox, VPNs? Yeah, no, it's all... Right, And, and, and the care and love that the restoration team has put into bringing our favorite television show into yeah, our home absolutely um just as a quick sidebar just referring to one of your earlier gifts yeah your love of puppets um would you be on board with replacing the puppets in invasion of the Di- dinosaur invasion with cgi sure oh okay all right fine because the restoration team what what the blu-rays will do is we will have to the best possible quality the original as broadcast story and then we might have a special edition that is all dressed up and souped up for uh, an audience today as a gateway. And I think it's the best of both worlds. Oh, it's Classic Who. Yep. 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 No, I, I, I agree. I mean, I think anything that gets people into Classic Who and avoids, you know, the, the younger viewer the turning off the show because of some of the slightly dated effects, I, I'm in favor of that. Yeah. Um, but I, again, I mean, as you say... Any changes that are made will be counterbalanced by a complete and utter perfect restoration to its original form mm-hmm. of the of the original broadcast because that's what the restoration that's what the group who are working on these Blu-rays are doing. Mm-hmm. As you know, I've not been picking up the Blu-rays because I really can't justify uh, the, the expense. <laughs> Though, I mean, I as soon I think as soon as they start hitting the uh, half price books, the kind of used market. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be picking them up, I'm pretty sure. So, yeah. Because yeah. just the saving in space is worth it, possibly. I don't know whether it's worth it or not. Yeah, the space saving, I think, is worth it. But really, uh, the uncompressed picture, even on the DVD, the pictures are slightly compressed. And just to have the going forward, as TVs get larger, as we head into our sunset years, <laughs> to have the best possible picture quality uh, that's been you know upscaled commercially upscaled for Blu-ray is just worth it for me because I I like I like watching my favorite program obviously and I like watching it in the best possible way. Absolutely, yep. I did say goodbye to my old cathode ray tube television, 
and uh, I am now all digital, and I really appreciate not not not. There's anything wrong with the DVDs, but I really appreciate the quality and attention going into the Blu-rays. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, they, yeah, they are so carefully, so carefully put together. It's beautifully, beautifully done. Uh, and we we are as again as you said, we are, we are so lucky that our our favorite show is being treated like this. I mean, everyone. Everyone has a favorite show. We're lucky that our favorite show is one that has a lot of other people who like it as well. Indeed, indeed. Your turn. Well, I am going to piggyback a little bit. Um, I, so I said there were two. There were two gifts I had that kind of mm-hmm. relate to your gifts, and um, I uh, to I bring uh, Sutex gift of animal skulls <laughs> to. To all humanity, and I say this because I was thinking about okay, what am I? What are some? I mean, you know, I was I was I was going to do sort of all Pertwee basically. So okay, what am I? What, 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 what everyone knows that my my favourite Pertwee is the Green Death. Yep, um, and I love the maggots. And what really freaked me out about those maggots when I was when I watched it first was the fact that they have actual skull. That that their mouths are the skulls of actual creatures. I mean, I know mm-hmm. that now because I, you know, we we know how these things were made. Right. But the special, I mean, the 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 kind of ballsiness of using an actual. I mean, I think it's a ferret that they used on um on those on those giant maggots mm-hmm. and those little tiny sharp teeth are, are scary because they're from a real animal. The drashigs, which you just referenced, Jack Russell skulls. Um. So yeah, they actually took some dogs um hopefully already dead um uh, <laughs> i would assume so you know i don't know where Although it is sutek it is sutek, i mean so. I, 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 I don't know where they got the skulls of everyone's favorite dog from but mm-hmm. they did and that's why the drashings are so frightening i'm bitterly i mean I, i'm happy that um uh, in many ways that character options did a drashig hand puppet, um, which of course allows people like you particularly <laughs> to do a little drashig show. Ah, I'm irritated that they didn't do a proper, they didn't do the teeth properly. Um, um, but there you go. But yes, were you I, looking for a real, real? They had to do a real cast of uh, Jack Russell and then and then scale it down. Oh God, yeah. The thing about the, I mean, the thing about those maggots, those maggots had little tiny needle teeth, and I could just imagine those digging into my ankle. And um, also then, you know, giving me the green death. And, you know, that's what made them so frightening. So I think, I mean, broadly, I, I say the gift of animal skulls. Um, it's the gift of attention to detail yeah. in terms of effects, in terms of the practical effects on Doctor Who. And it kind of relates to your gift of the Blu-rays, is that for some reason, the show has always been able to marshal the talents of people who don't take second best. Um, who will always do the very, very best that they can on the job that they're given. And I just think that's extraordinary. I mean, maybe at some point, perhaps during the late 70s, sometime perhaps during the 80s, there was uh, like, OK, well, that's good enough. But those those times in Doctor Who are so rare. It's always been a show where people have gone the full nine yards. They've given 110% cliche after cliche after cliche it's always been an amazing show in that way well the 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 skulls i think is a good example of how you can extend your budget by creatively using found materials too because dead dogs instead of having to sculpt the teeth 
you can get a skull, build a uh, creature around it, and you've you've upped your game. You've you've saved time, but you've also made it more realistic than having to spend the time to do kind of sculpture, which would be perhaps less convincing or less terror-inducing to kids. Yeah, agreed, agreed, agreed. No, I mean, it's that kind of little stamp of reality that kind of sells the gag of it's obviously a puppet because, like, maggots don't grow that big. It just jaw-droppingly good. <laughs> With the maggots, the thing that always got me in addition to the teeth was they hissed. Yeah. So the sound design, too. I think that everything... Everything always comes together in the stories that are really good. With yeah. the, you just you just have to look at how sound design, location uh, filming, just everything comes together with the Green Death. Yeah, agreed. Right, um, I think we're on to your next gift. Yes, uh, this is gift number four for, uh, from my count. I bring Sutek's gift of location filming. Whoa! It is what originally attracted my visual eye to Doctor Who in in general. And I've I've said this a few times on the podcast before that I was looking around for something to scratch my Star Wars itch. And Star Wars has various places on Earth representing foreign planets. You have the deserts of Tunisia being Tatooine, for example. And the abundance of location filming in 70s Doctor Who, especially the Tom Baker era, really distinguished the program from Star Trek, which was the other sci-fi series available, making it seem, for me, for my eyes, more alien and more remote. So all these places seen around London, seen around England and Wales, really brought out the alien in this of the stories the, the they were on different planets yeah and it's kind of ironic in some way since i mean i think for for a british person watching it's like uh yeah okay it's like they're just filming it in britain but mm-hmm. of course for you in the united states um it's well no this is these are obviously alien planets because they look so different um yeah again it's kind of ironic you think like america and star trek and surely they could have gone all over to film things. Of course, they can't because that's you know it's all filmed in Hollywood. All they really have is California, um, which right. is you know kind of looks the same. Southern California. Yeah, just a day's drive from wherever you are in Hollywood. Yeah, exactly. Whereas a day's drive from where you are in Britain, like you're going to hit the sea, whatever you do. Um, I mean, you mm-hmm. can't drive for a day. It's it's just not possible. It's just not possible. Um, <laughs> so you, there's, I mean, there is. I mean, you know, it, I think I think the quality of the light um, is always going to be an issue. Um, and I think uh, again, certainly in New Who, especially with the, with, the, and I think we talked about this before. We've run into difficulties with Christmas specials obviously being shot not at Christmas right? because um, all the trees have got leaves and they don't do that at Christmas. They don't have any leaves at all, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, no, for me, again, you know, this idea of kind of Doctor Who is kind of a play, a play thing. It was shot in all the places where I used to play as a kid. Um, mm-hmm. uh, not literally. But like the kind of, <laughs> jo- the kind of Yeah, no, we had a quarry near our house and we used to go really? and play okay. Doctor Who. Cool. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so it wasn't a literal quarry. So, the I mean, unfortunately, a few years after my parents bought their, the house that I grew up in, um, the government decided to build the M3 motorway basically right next door to it. So there was a lot of excavation around the neighborhood of our house 
to mm -hmm. get the gravel and clay, etc., that they needed for construction materials for the, the for uh, the motorway. So we we had a quarry that we played in, and anyway, so yeah, it's the location filming absolutely amazing. Do you have a favorite story location, story and location for that combo? Oh goodness. Um... Weirdly, whenever I think of playing in quarries, I think of Android Invasion. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Which is obviously not top tier by any stretch of the imagination. However, it's a classic combo of Fourth Doctor and Sarah Jane. Um, it has a, an amazing reveal, and it has twisted ankles. It has a wood. Basically, it's the same kind. It's the same kind of landscape as, as I grew up around. Mm -hmm. So woods, and then suddenly, well, it's a quarry. Yeah. Yeah. Which is basically what happens in Android Invasion. Excellent. All right. Next gift. So there you go. The next gift. So I bring Sutek's gift of the Forge of Scaro to all humanity. And the Forge of Scaro is? Well, the Forge of Scaro is the kind of pen name of uh, something called Green's 3D Printing, um, which I'm giving a free ad advertisement <laughs> for. So hopefully they can send me. Well, they won't have to send me stuff. <laughs> I was able to acquire this year at a relatively low cost a 5.5-inch scale, 3D-printed and fully painted Golden Dalek Emperor. Wow. Now, again, um, some, of you, um, some of you listeners may not be obsessed with Daleks as, as, as much as I am. Some of you may not realize that the greatest, the, literally the greatest Dalek of all is the Golden Emperor. And to have my own model... And I'm looking at him right now. And of course, it's a he. Um, or maybe it's not. Maybe it's a she. To have a model of the Golden Emperor, honestly, uh, his head moves round. His gun stick um, moves. His, his, his sucker moves. Um, he's a beautiful golden colour. Um, he's the same scale as all the other Daleks. Um, his skin, obviously, is one, as everyone knows, filled all gold. His armour um, tempered with, uh, with sap from the Arkelis flower. Um, it's, he's, he's a thing. He's an absolute thing of beauty. Um, Green's 3D. I think they're based in Cornwall, and they do a bunch of cool 3D printing of awesome stuff. The awesomest of all, of course, is the is the Golden Emperor. Um, they you can get a, hev a hoverabout. They are currently doing um, 3D printing of Power of the Daleks, so you can build your own Power of the Daleks set. For your Daleks to trundle around in assembly line, or uh, not the assembly line, but the kind of girder, um, the interior of the the, the Daleks. You know, it's bigger the on the capsule. inside spaceship. Yeah, exactly the capsule. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and so, just look them up. Uh, just Google Green3D.co.uk. They're also on Facebook. Just to be able to acquire that object makes me happy on a regular basis. So there you go. Now, are these limited printings? Or they are, are they... relatively limited. I, limited. Just looking, researching this this morning. Um, they, there's actually there's a restock on the Golden Emperor right now, kids. They had the first run sold out almost immediately. The second run, which is what I got, sold out. You know, really in a couple of days. And they have a restock of the Golden Emperor right now. Um, if you want your own your own Golden Emperor, go right to Green's 3D. Get it ordered because these things sell out and they are brilliant. Uh, I'm very tempted to get myself a hoverabout, which has a kind of a light up, a kind of LED light in the front. It is kind of spendy. Um, it might go on my Christmas list. And do these 
integrate then with character options it's or exactly the same scale as uh, as character options it's it's so ah, okay. well done exactly no so it fits in with all my other daleks perfect 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 yeah i mean and and made by you know obviously these people are fans and there's a lot of really awesome 3d printing going on in the kind of doctor who modeling community and there are other other folks out there who do kind of replacement limbs and uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but just, you know, I, I'm just a shout out to, to the Golden Emperor, um, the greatest Dalek of them all. So being such a Dalek fanboy, I'm guessing you're on board with the rumor of the Daleks getting their own spinoff series? I, I'm on board with that. I, I, think, it's, I think it's difficult. Um, there was an interesting article, I think, recently in DWM or something I was reading, anyway, about the difficulty of the Dalek spinoff is, you know, are the Daleks the heroes or are they the villains? And uh, to make them heroic, it's uh, basically what you need to do. You need to look at those 1960s comics, you know, the TV 21 comics and see how they were able to spin the Daleks into these kind of crazy kind of anti-heroes. And that's what I'd be looking for. I'm nervous about the redesign that were promised in 2023. I was not happy with the uh, with the recon Dalek design. And obviously, no one was happy with the new paradigm. <laughs> you kind of got to keep it. You got to keep it looking Dalek-y, really. Right. I mean, you can't really change. You can't fix what's perfect, basically. So, we'll see. We'll have to see. Yep. All right. So, uh, for my fifth gift here, I bring Sutex gift of RTD Russell T Davis to all humanity. What a brilliant gift that is. And. Uh, I'd like to add on to that, uh, Shuti Gatwa and uh, Millie Gibson. I'm really thankful that RTD brought back Doctor Who way back when in 2004, and that it seems to be in such good hands once again. And I'm excited to see what Gatwa brings to the role. And my one comment with Gibson is, I seem to be getting older because the companions now are even younger than my youngest child. So yeah. <laughs> it's a bit of a it's a bit of a stretch, but I'm just I'm looking forward to Doctor Who again and I think it's uh, RTD Russell T Davis who I have to thank for that. And honestly, we would not be doing a podcast today if the show did not return. It would have been a specialist interest of 50 plus year olds but i think rtd has kept it going i think it's even allowed big finish to keep going too yes because initially rtd gave big finish the green light when this the show came back with uh, eccleston so we have a lot to thank be thankful for in doctor who fandom for rtd and uh, this is uh, Sutex gift for 2022 is the return of Russell T. Davis. Uh, we're in safe hands and we owe so much to Russell and, and everything you've said is correct. Like everything we've got now is because of him. And I think there are some some people have opined that, you know, him coming back next year is a kind of retrograde step. Um Whatever it is, it means that the show is it will go on. Um, mm-hmm. Because you know he's 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 such a I've said this before he's such a successful figure within 
TV, both nationally and internationally. Like, he didn't have to do Doctor Who if he didn't want to. He wants to do it. He's going to make it. He's, you know, he's bringing it back in. And there will be new, it will be new and exciting. I mean, one of the... um, It's going to have uh, puppets. It's going to have puppets. (laughs) Um, uh, uh, And actually, this segues a little bit into my my, uh, uh, fourth gift. Fourth gift? Yes, if if we may. Um, So I bring Sutek's gift... Of the DWN comic strip um, ah. to all humanity. It's back. It mm-hmm. had a hiatus for a while. It then was written and drawn by an artist-writer combo that I really didn't care for. But the latest issue of DWM, Lee Sullivan's back drawing the comic again. Alan Barnes yep. used to edit 2000 AD and writes a lot of great stuff at DWM. He's, he's, he's doing the writing. It's not my dream team of Martin Garrity and Scott Gray, but... You know, Barnes and Sullivan will, will do the job. I'm excited about that. But the two things, the two things that make this a special gift, one of which is, I think for the first time, the strip is directly connected to the show's chronology. So the, 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 the strip that's running currently with the 14th Doctor, as played by David Tennant, is a direct follow-on from the regeneration we just saw in Power of the Doctor. That's exciting. The other thing, of course, is that we are now the show is being part produced part funded part of the disney plus network in the united states um disney plus as far as i believe or disney own marvel studios which means that all the characters from the original marvel run when marvel owned doctor who magazine are potentially available to be in Doctor Who for the first time. Oh, you could have. Um, well, if, if that with the spin-off show, you could have Absalom Dark back in there. Yeah, Absalom Dark. You have Absalom Dark could be teaming up with you know Iron Man to fight the Cybermen. Or something. <laughs> I mean, you know, basically this could mean. And I'm I've got my reservations about the MCU and superhero movies in general, but this. I mean, there was a short run in the I think in the mid '80s where. Marvel characters turned up in the Doctor Who comic strip. So Death's Head particularly was a very, very minor Marvel character. So there is some continuity there, and I'm not going to give anyone any spoilers, but certainly some of the set shots that I've seen from um, the specials next year, there are some characters turning up from the comic strip. Hmm. And um, I don't know how they're going to do them, but... it. That, that's what it looks like to me, seeing those blurry shots on set. So this is a really crazy, interesting time. And when we talk about spin-offs and we talk about, um, you know, aliens, villains, monsters getting their own shows and there being a kind of a Doctor Who extended universe, yeah, that this really could happen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they really could decide to apply the kind of Marvel movie technique to Doctor Who uh, would be really interesting. Mm-hmm. So watch this space. Um, I think this is, again, this is all down to RTD. So uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but collected all in uh, two volumes, I think is going to be uh, the Dalek, the ultimate comic strip collection. Well, I, have, I, I've d- I do not own those copies, but I have seen that they're available. Yeah, so Panini is uh, bringing that out, and uh, if you want to catch up with all the uh, DWM Dalek comics, they're all going to be collected now in a couple volumes, maybe three volumes uh, a set. So that's a good way of expanding your universe and uh, seeing 
seeing what has happened in the past. And uh, I'm not the biggest comic fan as you are, but it's it's nice to see them all accessible again without having to uh, either pirate them or track down back issues. The Panini collected volumes of the comic strip are excellent. Again, for whatever reason, because I mean, Panini are a, you know they they're just an Italian you know trading card company. But mm-hmm. I mean, for whatever reason, they are beautifully produced volumes. Um, I again, I'm I'm looking at my collected volumes of the strip over on the other side of the room right now. Um, they're all remastered and when, when they're collected in a volume, and they all have a commentary. So each strip has a uh, an analysis by the writer and by the artist. They didn't have to do stuff like that. The sketches, the attention to detail, something that we called out a couple of times during this podcast for Doctor Who, mm-hmm. extended to the publishing of the comic strip. Yeah. Um, so, you know, just kudos to everybody, basically. Um, and I'm, ex- I'm, you know, I, I said I got my reservations about Marvel. I got my reservations about superheroes. But this idea of a Doctor Who extended universe is certainly something that can happen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The blueprint is already there in the comic strips. Absolutely, yep. Right. All right, my final gift. I bring Sutek's gift of scarves to all humanity. Ah, uh, scarves. And the reason why is my lovely wife, Rita, got into knitting way back when, probably five, six years ago, solely to knit me a Tom Baker season 12 scarf. She's a treasure. (laughs) And uh, I've worn the scarf uh, publicly, I guess. I appeared in a a DWM magazine wearing the scarf uh, a while back. And I just really thankful, I guess, for the scarf and knitting. She's now an avid knitter. She's doing all sorts of crazy things with knitting. But it's Tom Baker's scarves. That got her into this hobby in uh, fiber arts, and she gets great enjoyment out of it. And I enjoy my scarf, so <laughs> I it's uh it's funny how fandom expands out. And uh, I think knitting, in a way, is a Doctor Who gateway for some people to enjoy the show, and I'm all for it. And I I'm not going to disagree with any of that. It, it is the <laughs> show that keeps on giving, and you know. Wives, partners, children—you know—I've—I've I've ext- extended my love of this show to all the important people in my life, and they've all picked up certain elements of it and enjoy certain elements of it. Um, they don't have the full immersion that I possibly have, but you know, it's said—it's a show that has so many facets for people to enjoy, um, and I think that's one of the reasons that it continues to be such a success. Um, and. Um, uh yeah you know uh, uh, you, you, your scarf is excellent thank you yeah. it's uh screen accurate as uh, as well as she can make it it was the first thing she knitted and i think it wow. was uh, uh excellent it's just it's perfect and there's a community of witty little knitters doctor who knitters that are <laughs> trying to reproduce or remake tom baker scarves from all the seasons they all have variations they try to find the right dye colored yarn to match with it um mine is wool um there's certainly uh, different fibers that you can use but i'm just amazed by this is a whole subgroup of doctor who fandom that i'm only tangentially (laughs) i'm just the recipient of the love i guess (laughs) well similarly i mean similarly with um with with was it dalek 6388 
which is you know the website yeah. that documents you know every detail of each Dalek prop from 1963 to 1988, um, and then of course have a, has a spin-off YouTube channel in, in Terry Nation's Army. There's so much in this show that people can get involved in, and to have a community of people who are dedicated to documenting and then reproducing each of the scarves of the Fourth Doctor is is just a beautiful thing, basically. Yeah, it's lovely. It is lovely. Um, and talking of lovely things, this was my my final gift. I bring Sutex gifts of Katie Manning ah, to all humanity. The beautiful Katie Manning. <laughs> and when I say Katie Manning, it's really a portmanteau idea in that the actors in the show mm-hmm. give so much. Everyone knows, I mean, everyone who's you spent any time on Twitter or social media knows what a beautiful and excellent person Katie Manning is and how giving and enthusiastic and supportive of fans and of the show that she is. But a recent um, kind of joiner of Doc... I know, obviously, we all know that Twitter's going to hell in a handbasket, thanks to Elon Musk, but there you go. Mm. A recent uh, joiner of Twitter is, um, is Wendy Padbury. Um, and she's not been active on social media before. And again, she's just kind of leapt straight into it. I think she's just been at the Chicago TARDIS convention. Um, she'll be in L.A. Um, mm-hmm. in February next year. And going back to your gift of the Blu-rays, you know, the commentaries with, with Peter Davison and his companions. Um, there's, there's something about the show that really the actors really seem to to enjoy being part of it. Uh, and yeah, I think maybe some of it's to do with, you know, they're basically all retired at this point. You know, they're not particularly active in terms of acting right. apart from, of course, Big Finish, which, you know, keeps that flame going. And again, you know, I could have given a gift of, mm-hmm. of, of, of Big Finish, you know, which continues to attract, you know, the highest level of writing and acting to support the show. But anyways, but, I mean, Kate is a lovely person. She's a beautiful person. Um, she's very, very present and so positive and 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 good on social media when there's so much kind of bad stuff in the world. Yeah. But I think all of them are present for they're they're all fans of the show. Mm-hmm. They all love the show like we do and that kind of brings us all together and you know it's it's like you were saying about the community of scarf scarf makers. It's just a it's just a nice thing. Um in a world where there are so many like horrible horrible things. Yeah. This isn't a horrible thing. It's mm-hmm. a good thing. It's a nice thing. It's a pleasant thing. It's a happy thing. It's a completely inconsequential thing that because it's so inconsequential, we can spend a lot of time thinking and talking about it. She really embodies love and hope. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, And she's, like you said, a really positive, caring, heartfelt person on Twitter, which is not always the most... Uh, life-affirming place to be (laughs) (laughs) exactly exactly and just our brief encounter with her and Gallifrey the one Gallifrey the one that I went to we just bumped into her on her way to I think a main floor presentation and she was just radiant and friendly and bubbly and she is granted she was working but she is just a genuinely beautiful person and she's just wonderful 
And a part of picking this is that my lovely wife and I were talking about Doctor Who, and I was asking, well, you know, what, 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 who's your favourite companion? And she went straight to Joe Grant, um, which was a surprise because mm-hmm. obviously, you know, when when our kids were small, we all watched Sarah Jane Adventures, etc. And obviously, Sarah Jane is a very, very important, yeah, very right. important character. But really, for me, Joe is the is the companion, and she embodies all of that companionness that I enjoy from those from those characters. So, and that was, you know, and that's you know, like very much like, um, you know, people say the cliche about playing the doctor is that, you know, it's not really an acting job because you just, you know, you just play yourself, mm-hmm. uh, particularly for someone like Tom Baker. And also, I think in some ways with John Pert, we do. Um, I, you know, I think I think the character of Joe and the character of Katie are kind of the same thing, um, which is which is nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. There you go. That's my final gift. Excellent. Well, those are 12, 12 wonderful gifts that Sutek has bestowed has bestowed <laughs> upon us, uh, and uh, we don't have to abase ourselves or any <laughs> anything like that to get it. So, Grovelling insect, yes, yes. So uh, he won't be so lenient next time, but uh, he definitely won't. <laughs> uh, even even Sutek has a uh, soft soft hearted uh, core at at this time he of does. year. At this time of year, it melts even the hardest of siren heart. So, excellent. Well, thank you for listening to episode 217 of the Metabulous 2 podcast. I have been exchanging gifts with Ben. And I have been exchanging gifts with David. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, very merry, very, very happy holiday season to you all. Ho, ho, ho. Bye. Bye. Bye.